Welcome to episode 8 of the Foyne Jones Show. It's season 6 and we're inspiring our stars of the future. I've got a very, very special guest joining me today, Tony McClellan. She's a critical friend. She's a friend of Foyne Jones. She's a champion of equality, diversity, inclusion and belonging. This is going to be a very, very special episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners and friends of the Foyne Jones Show, we are back in the recording studio. But there's a twist today. There's a twist today for a couple of reasons. Um, the first twist is we're actually not in the studio in Brighton. We're recording remotely, which takes me back to those uh, those days of lockdown when we did the survival series. And for me, that's when the podcast became something very, very special. We had show-stopping guest after show-stopping guest. We put out lots of episodes during lockdown one and during lockdown two, lockdown two, and that has given us a, a platform to inspire the next generation, inspires our stars and stars of the future. And here we are, and I still can't believe this when I say it, we are in season six of the Foyne Jones Show, a podcast that began as a crazy idea in the back end of 2018 and 2000 and early 2019, is now on season six, and we're able to bring in guests from inside our industry, the world of professional sport, the world of showbiz, fashion, but today, we've not got someone from the building materials arena, we've not got some, someone from the kitchen bedrooms and bathrooms arena, they're not from design, they're not from home improvement, we've got a friend of Foyne Jones, a friend of the Jones family, and a guest who I've, I've admired for a long, long time. She's a passionate supporter of what we do on LinkedIn, and she's a critical friend. Tony McClelland, welcome to the Foyne Jones Show. You've been a guest I've been wanting to get on for so long. How are you? I'm absolutely fine, and it's an absolute delight to be here with you, Peter. You know, it really is. And uh, you, at last, you've got me on the other side. I'm even the one asking you questions. Yeah, you're, you're normally grilling me, and I have to wait patiently. I don't know when well, I can talk, no. but this is my gig. This is my show. I, I, I've I've got the chair, but but Tony, I mean, from a from a from a personal perspective, let's start by saying thank you because you've been you've been someone who's given me advice over the years. You during our charity fundraising, you were amazingly supportive when we were working to reduce male suicide in the camp with the campaign against living miserably. Um, and I admire your content on LinkedIn. I admire the positivity and inspiration you bring to the, the world in general, but certainly the LinkedIn population. And that's the platform where I hang on, hang out the most, but we're going to take a step back, Tony, and we're going to imagine, and this is unlikely, but we're going to imagine Tony, that some of the listeners, some of my network don't know, about the Tony McClellan story. They don't know about the fairy dust. They don't know of what you bring to, to the world on a daily basis. So platform's yours. Just just take a few minutes to, to introduce yourself and tell us what you're doing and what you're about and who you are as a person. Thank you so much, uh, Peter. Well, I just want to kind of just start by saying that, you know, I think we're all connected by heart, aren't we, really? And our journey you know, um, goes back a little way now. And um, I'm a passionate believer of the work you do around recruitment and the way that you go about it, ripping up that rule book. I absolutely love it because that's the time that we're in. But uh, for your listeners, um, I'm Tony McClelland. I'm a critical friend and a business mentor. And I work specifically in the social impact, social justice and social mobility space. Um, I help to navigate businesses towards sustainable change using diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging plus compassionate approaches. So really it's about using compassion and DEIB to future-proof, navigate and as a catalyst for change. So that's really what I do. But I also bring some of that learning in those critical environments 360 degrees back to those that are starting out early on their social entrepreneurship journey. And so it's full of inspiration, empowerment, and lots of fairy dust. And even though we're remote today, Peter, you know, we're connected. I can feel it. 
but I, can, I can feel I can feel the positivity. It exudes in everything you do, and and I'd also say, from my experience, Tony, what you do, you you do it with with a smile on your face. You have fun. Uh, you you see the best in individuals, but in saying that, you're also passionate about about about, about certain causes and the right things, and that in itself captivates it captivates in audiences. And I've and I've been on your LinkedIn lives a couple of times, and you know we we've hung out there, and you've given me a platform to talk about some of the support we're offering others and what we're doing as a business but but more importantly today I think there's there's a message with lots of what you what you've mentioned there the social impact the social 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 justice and also the DEIB because there there is an industry in itself and the markets I recruit for where I think if we became more inclusive if we recruited in a more diverse way if there was more belonging and, and compassion, every single business, every single stakeholder, every single CEO, every single employee, they'd feel, they'd feel it and it would actually not just inspire the current generation, it would attract people in and it would make it better for everyone that's involved in. Absolutely, but, absolutely. But where do you start with that? I mean, that's such a, you know, it's so many, I see so many people, they talk a great game and I'll be controversial here. They talk it up. They say what they, they say it publicly, but are they really believing in that cause? And are they really doing that as, as individuals and as groups and businesses? You're at the sharp end of that. You're at the, you know, you're at the cutting edge of that. You're facing it on a daily basis. What's that like in the here and now in 2023? Are things better than we was having a conversation five years ago? Well, I, I think I think how I'm going to approach this initially, Peter, is by sharing just for a moment my own experience and why I really believe in compassion and DEIB. So let's take compassion first of all. And this is why employers have to really take this seriously and think about that. Why compassion for me? Because when I, after 20 years of working in my career, you know, and it's been a varied career through criminal justice, specialist education and care. I sat down and I had a good conversation with myself and I thought, Tony, what's, what's going on here? What do you like doing? What are you really good at? And, you know, one of the things that came through was compassion in every single one. Because when I worked on the ground with um, young people in the criminal justice system, it kept me safe. I'm talking about some really hardened young people in gangs, using guns, etc. It kept me safe, that compassion, and I had no reason at any time to feel that my safety was in jeopardy because of how I communicated and how I worked with compassion. When I worked with critical incidents in communities, guns, bombings, you know, Grenfell more recently, all of these um, situations, riots, Compassion, again, it brought resolve amongst communities. It brought some of the answers. People started to work together. It brought calm. When I've led organizations and I've had large staff teams, again, compassion, it's boosted productivity. It's boosted morale. So for me, no matter where I go, whether it's left, right, up, down, compassion has always won the day. And so that's why it's forefront for me, and that's why I believe it should be forefront for everybody else. And in relation to having a compassionate business, you know, a compassionate business is really a business. We've just come out of the pandemic, Peter. We've come out of the pandemic. Lots of organizations were, some didn't make it, some did, some were hanging by the skin of their teeth. But ultimately, if we were to face that situation again, what is going to get you through is having a compassionate business. And a compassionate business is one that thinks about not only the people, but sustainability and thinks about the planet as well as, so that I've got four Ps, purpose, people, planet, and profit. What is the purpose? And when I do a lot of this work, it comes back to what is your vision, mission, values within your organization? And I think that these are the cornerstones, and this is what is going to future-proof you beyond 2030 when we're thinking about sustainable development you know, and all of these compassionate and DEIB pieces. So it's just so integral and crucial to funding, you know, how you deal with people. You can't get away from it. So so really get used to it, embrace it, get to know it. And it's not going, it's, you're definitely right about we can't get away from it and, and it isn't going anywhere. And 
the four P's, I, I think we'll focus on them on them in a second. But just going back to to something you said there when when you began talking about how your compassion has benefited you and it supported you in the real world, okay, and in real life situations. You mentioned a few examples there, and if we if we take them one by one, right? You've mentioned gangs and guns. All right. Now I'm from a West London council estate. People know my story. Um, that estate's evolved and changed over the years, and there's things going on there which break my heart because there's still people there that that you know their families, their parents. I got parent, my friends' parents that I grew up with, and guns are real. Gangs are real, and it's having a ridiculously negative impact on on the younger generations and it's very very hard do i turn left do i turn right i remember my own story you know if i had to turn left would, would things not it would have been a very different path to, to where i went and perhaps that was my grandparents perhaps that was my family uh, perhaps that was just in me to go in a different direction but when you're talking about guns and gangs and you're talking about riots and you know, if you've been around some of them inner city riots or so, some of the things that were going on, they, they were terrifying. And, you know, people were scared to get out of their own house. And then you mentioned one of the, the most heartbreaking disasters of, of modern time, Grenfell. Um, and, I, and I know those two towers at the bottom of Aberystwyth and Fulham Borough, you know, underneath the West Way. I used to play football next door to them in the, in, in the football pitches there. I used to box at Arrow Road Boys Club. It's next door to it. Um, so, so those towers, that, that was something horrific. You know, we, we never, ever, you know, God forbid, want to see anything, anything like that again. But compassion worked in the toughest of arenas is what you're telling us there, Tony. So you, you tell me a business that can't use compassion to, to, to turn a trick and doing their normal trading or whatever they're doing. This way, and I know that this is a podcast about guns and gangs, and I'm not going to about to turn it into one. But really, I want some of your listeners to think about the diverse skills and the transferable skills, and because it's it's quite closed off when we look at individuals. And and I was controversial by saying at one point, I think a few years ago, I said to somebody, oh, you know, gang leader, I was being controversial, by the way, just making prodding for a little bit of time. As you do, as you do. Just just having a little poke and a prod, wouldn't you, to get a reaction? Just to get a reaction. And I said, well, do you know what? Gang leaders make really good leaders. And somebody said to me, what do you mean? Oh, you know, are you saying that gang leaders should rule the world? Well, actually, no, that's not what I'm saying. But if you look at gang leaders... When the pandemic, they were the first ones, especially if they were involved in drugs, they were the first ones to up the market. You know, all of a sudden they were, you know, Uber drivers. While everybody else was in headlights, standing still, what should we do? What should we do? They had it locked down. If they're not a good good gang leader, they end up dead, Peter. Mm. And that's and that's quite sobering, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You're uh, you, you're fighting to exist on a daily basis, and 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 they did more than that. You know, they 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 actually, I mean, they took the trendy word pivot and were rocking and rolling with that before any of us woke up to what furlough meant. That's right, that's what I'm trying. That's exactly yeah. what I'm trying to say. So, you know, and they've got the skills, and I'm not saying that you know we just as employers we just need to think a bit more open-mindedly about you know, what somebody brings and think about real transferable skills that can come into an organisation. So, you know, somebody like that, just explore it. They may be able to lead people well. They, you know, they, they know how to bring sales. They know how to make money. Do you, do you see what I mean? They know the market. They're ahead of the market. And let's face it, a lot of them are ahead of us even. So come on, you know, just think about things from that perspective. And we've also got this idea as well that, that, um, you know, bad influence. People are a bad influence, but actually are they bad influence? And I was in an organisation once, Peter, where the second day I was in there, I went into the staff and I grabbed a cup of, a cup of coffee from the urn because I thought, well, this is where you've got to go in the staff and get a real temperature of what's going on. And someone said, oh, this organisation, you should burn it down. And I thought, oh, my God, what do I do now? I don't even know their names. I can have a revolution, deal with this carefully, Tony. And so I went to my office and I sat down and I thought, right, how am I going to deal with this? Because I said, stop, stop, stop. Didn't stop. Anyway, he came over. His manager called me and said, oh, he's really sorry what's come over. Um, he shuffled over and I thought, right, okay. I'm good. I spent an hour speaking to him. And when I spoke mm. to him for that hour, I realized that he'd never been listened to, never had the opportunity, all of these things. 
So he saw that as an opportunity in the staff room to be to to come to my attention. So so that that's came that's come from a source of frustration, hasn't it? That that's come from a that's come from a you know an inner angry place, and he's seen you as a he's seen you as a pathway. To, I'm going to let this out. Right. And what's happened as well is that people are saying you should sack him. Because I had a bigger, you should sack him. He's a bad influence. But actually, Peter, he was not. He was a very good influence, just influencing the wrong thing. And so for me, I had a big mission on my hand to turn around this organization. So what it meant was that I'm going to get him on board. Because if he's good at influencing, bad or good, yeah, then if I get him to influence the right thing with an opportunity, then he's yeah. going to do good. He's going to come up trumps. And I tell you what, he was my best employee. He absolutely mm. was because I created an opportunity where he could um, be elevated in his role. He could be part of the induction. He was very anti-rules. So we developed a program. Guess what the program was about? Rules. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah, rules. Yeah, how to break, how, how to change them to make it work. Do you know that, that story? I mean, again, a very different instance. But I remember as a very young sales manager when I was given my first sort of leadership role, um, and I was young. I was twenty three, turning twenty four, and everyone was older than me. The whole table, you know, every, everyone around that ballroom was older than me. Everyone around the meeting room was older than me. Um, yeah, you've got you've got some people that are very supportive. You've got some people that are the complete opposite, and you've got some that are just complete wrong ones, and they just actually want to put, you know, and and that that sometimes is frustration. There's, there's different reasons for it, but I always realise that those loud voices and those ones that could actually kill a meeting, they could kill a project, they could they could drop it down. If I don't get them on board and win their hearts and minds, it's going to make the job really difficult. So, so I learned very quickly that, you know, I might need to talk to them one-to-one. I might need to publicly praise them. I might actually need to pull them one side and say, look, you know, we've all got a job to do. If you carry on like that and, and, and we can't fix it, they're, they're, we might come to a, a, diff, a different outcome. Um, bar, 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 bar none. I managed to put everything right, and, and any and any performance issues I had were actually performance issues. So 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 it could be a coaching need, it could be a development need, it could be a training need, but we got away from the them and us, and we got away from the conflict, and we got away from the and some of them I felt for when some of them said to me, "Look, you know, you're saying this, Mr. Sales Manager or Mr. Sales Director, but we've had five governors in the last three years, so you know, t- t- tell us what's going to be different about you and you." You take that and you go, all right, so I put myself in their shoes. What can we do? How can we change it? How would I like to be treated? But equally, what have we got to achieve? And if everyone's going going in the same direction, going back to my football team, football's free, you've got your tactics right and everyone knows how to play and they know they're playing for each other, you've got half a chance. And that's that's potentially the compassionate route, isn't it? It's to give everyone a chance. And, and compassion exactly is about... Um, relieving the suffering of others by taking action so you see something you don't sympathize empathize show pity you move to action yeah what can i do to help this person help this situation what is and and quite often we've got to identify what is the win-win here because when you're faced with a scenario let's face it peter we always get distracted there's this coming in from the side this coming in from the top and Leaders can get distracted. So it's really important to know, what do I want out of this? What do I want as a win-win? What do I want as a result of this conversation? But coming back to something that you were saying as well, um, you know, and that was with the teams. You know, I used to have somebody that, I, you know, it was a client of mine. He always used to come back and say to his teams, this is what I'm going to do. This I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that. And I said, well, look, how about you change what you're going to do and keep telling them what you're going to do? Why don't you tell them what you've done? Because going to do, going to do, going to do. What's that? Hmm. This is what I've done. This is my history, my record. And I'm going to continue to do that. And that's what builds trust and, um, you know, that, that loyalty. So, so you've really got to be kind of clear. And I think the message in there for anyone that's listening is about, there's a, you know, your mouth is made to talk. <laughs> and it can talk anything it wants to talk. But actually, we need to be role models and we need to model, you know, what we're what we're kind of wanting to see amongst um, our teams. So um, that's that's really But moving to that compassion is really, really 
Yeah, it's it's key, and it can bring out the best. And I love what you said about engaging all of the relevant and necessary people, not trying to to you know put them to one side or or anything like that, or leave them out. Deliberately taking that action to get them involved, and I think that that's key. Absolutely. Well, I, I was I was lucky. I, I, I say this in most of my episodes. I, I learned from some very inspirational people. I had good mentors, sort of in, inside of businesses, and and I needed that because I, I didn't know my dad. I've never met him, so I didn't. And I very close to my granddad, but he passed away yeah. just as I started working, actually. So 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 in terms of a, a a father figure or a mentor or someone to to aspire to or to give you a you know tell you you're not doing the right thing, but actually actually that there's people I look back to in my career and I'm like wow without you i probably wouldn't have achieved anything like i like i've achieved um and and there's a handful of people and and you know i'd say my father-in-law is one of them there's there's two or three of my ex-bosses who i still call boss and i haven't worked for them for 20 odd years and then looking looking at everything now tony and looking at looking at the way businesses work and i love what you said then about you know it's not what you're going to do is do something or remember because we can all talk a great game yeah like most most well not everyone can but that we can yeah you know and there's people that can and it's i we can all say the right things we can do that but turn him on put me on stage yeah say the right things it absolutely means nothing unless and i believe in this so much unless you get to know your team and you get to know their passions, their interests, what what they want to achieve out their working day, their working life, the next few years, you're really punching in the dark over what what makes a good a good day for them. But if you get to know them, and you spend time understanding their motivations, understanding their fears, understanding their dreams, you can actually tweak little things you're doing to to make everyone make everyone happier. And and by making them happier and letting them have fun. Wow, you know, you've got a decent place to work, and and that's that's what that's what I believe in from my business, and what makes that so strong is putting my recruitment hat back on. When I talk to individuals, I did a post about it a couple of day a couple of days ago, you know, and this was just people from last month, you know, what why they're leaving their jobs. They don't actually dislike their work, but it might be a toxic culture. It could be a promise that wasn't kept. It can be, you know, a lack of career pathway. No one listens to me. It's those frustrations that build up and build up and build up. You lose productivity, you lose enthusiasm, and ultimately you'll lose the employee because they've gone. And that's something that every business has got to be aware of. Every leader's got to be aware of that, haven't they? Absolutely. And I think that just coming, picking up on something that you've mentioned there, you know, and that's why I said about going into the staff room, you're not going to get to know the staff in your office because when they come to your office, they're all thinking, oh my God, Peter's called to the office. He's going to get in trouble. Something's going on. What's Go to, you know, I've been in an office where I could have got coffee in a, in a coffee pot with cups and have it privately in my office. I don't want that. I want to go in the staff room, hang out with them for a few minutes. That's when you're going to get to really know them as individuals. So that's really what we need to really be thinking about. We need to grasp the idea that the staff are our work. That is our work. Yeah, and the more you put into the staff, Powerful. yeah, the more we put into the staff, the more will come out. And I worked out that if I put eighty percent of effort into my staff, eighty percent of my time, I only have to do twenty percent of my own work <laughs> because they do everything yes. else. And, and, that's, and that's that's genius in itself, Tony. That, that's genius itself. But actually, you you're you're recognising everyone as an individual. You're pulling them together as a team, and you're caring about the output. And, and something which I always think is important: you care about how people feel. You know, you're going to spend an awful lot of time at work, and whatever you're doing, if you don't enjoy it you've still got to have some fun or there's got to be a reason there's got to be a reason for you to be there because we all need pound shilling and pence we're we're all in the same mix together at different levels of our electricity's gone up our fuel's gone up our fuel's gone down our electricity's gone up our cost of living you can run them out it's like it's like a record player going round and round and round and and it's like the mixing's broke because the same problems are coming up but when you when you look at them You've got to try and approach things positively and support people, haven't you? Absolutely, because what happens is, is that, and this is the way that I look at it, that if I use the 80-20 rule, if I put 20% into five different things, I'm going to get five lots of 80%. 
So by the time I've reached my 100%, I'm going to get my 400% return. That's how I need to look at it. And that's how I approach everything. So if I put 20% into my staff, then I'm going to get my 80% return. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, that's that's the way to to kind of look at it. It's, it's almost like putting them... Um, putting the bet on full of women, isn't it? Because if they play... Like yeah, I mean, I mean, do you know what? There's a few of them, there's a few of them time where I really should have hit the cash out button and I've, uh, I've, I've naively held on, you know. But, but look, look, thank you for bringing football in because football, football's a massive part of my life. So, so, so I like that. Um, and I did watch we, we, as well where they won, so I did actually. We did, we did, we did win. We beat Everton. We can. You know, we've had a fantastic season. Like, you know, I talk about this all the time. We're back in the big, big league. We're back in the Premier League. Um, we're not going to get relegated this season, so that means we're going to stay in it for next year. I would have been happy finishing fourth bottom to avoid relegation, but we've we flirted with the top six. We've got ourselves into an FA Cup quarter final and spontaneously combusted and uh, didn't make it to the semi final at Wembley. But we are, I think we're 10th at the moment. So we've, we're, whatever happens now, it's going to be a great season. So thank you for bringing it in. So my love of Fulham transcends me. And everyone I talk to, I try and make, I try and get them a little bit of Fulham love in there as well. And, and you've, you've been part of that. You've been on our, you've been on our World Cup songs. You've been on our journey. You've supported our fundraising on the way to the grounds when we walked from, and that was a long walk. We walked from Craven Cottage to St. Andrews, Birmingham. Um, that was three and a half marathons, sorry, four and a half marathons in three and three and a bit days. Put it this way, Peter, I'm going to give you some lots of credit here because I think that you've put Fulham on the map on LinkedIn. Yeah, I know. Sure. I, 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 think, I think we do. We get, and do you know what was great? In my corporate days time, what was great about being a Fulham fan, right, when, when I was working in the corporate world, um, which seems such a lifetime ago, it was uh, 2002, uh, three, 2003 I left the corporate world and 2004, when Jones launched, but, but being a young sales director and a passionate Fulham fan did open up some doors for me back then because you imagine all the big businesses we were working with that had corporate tickets at Man United, Liverpool, Newcastle, Chelsea, South, any club, they've all got the entertainment. All the big teams, they're always in demand. They've got like, they could get someone in them, they could get someone in them seats 10 times over. Fulham fixture comes up. Who's a Fulham support? Who do we know? Jonesy. Let's ring him. He'll come. So I, I used to get invite after after invite back then. And the, but the thing about it is, Peter, because it feeds into what we're talking about here now. You're not just Peter Raymond Jones or Foyne Jones, director of. You are through and through Peter Jones, Fulham supporter, you know, <laughs> father, husband, all these other things that, that really you know, oh, you're, you, you're not just, every time you speak, you don't just speak about your role as a recruiter, you speak as a person, you know, and I think that that's so important, and just going back to where I kind of brought in the 80-20, if I can, I was just yeah, of thinking you about, when you're, when you're going to place a bet, you know, you, you don't say, well, actually, I'm going to put £80 on in, in the hope of winning 20 back, you say, I'm going to put £20 on, but you think about where's the best place to, to put that £20, should I put it here, here? And I'm always thinking about, you know, I don't want to work hard. I don't mind hard work, but I don't want to break my nails. So I'm always thinking about <laughs> what's, the least, what's the best result I can get in the least amount of time. So I don't mind taking time and, and, um, and doing that. But just don't waste my time. So do, do you see what I mean? So... I love it. I love it. I mean, there's a better science than when I pick a horse because when I pick a horse, it's either the name or the colour of the hat. So, so those, those two, two, those two things don't work. But I've got a, I've got a lot of gamblers in my family, so I try and stay on this side of those conversations. But, yeah. but, but we we all have fun. Tony, look, listen, I love talking to you. I could talk to you for hours and hours on end. Um, there, there's so much, there's so much positivity and chemistry, and just it's just it's just great just to see someone who who wants to do right and it can also look into some of the more challenging environments and challenging areas of society and see the good and see the positivity in them and I think that in itself should be celebrated in the second half of the podcast we're going to to go back more onto the structure of, of, of previous episodes and we're going to talk about bringing more diversity equality inclusion and belonging 
into my sectors and, and how businesses can start thinking about doing that. And then we're going to wrap things up by talking about the next generation. And just take your words of advice and your fairy dust, Tony, your fairy dust on what we could do to inspire our stars of the future. Thanks for listening. That's the first half of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are you ready? The digital revolution is no longer a spectator sport. It's game on. The magical art of storytelling is the future. Social, content, branding, podcasts, video marketing, and virtual 360 tours. This is Jones Digital. Well, welcome back to the Foyne Jones Show. This, and I've got to make sure I get this right, is season six, and we're halfway through episode eight. Tony, the critical friend. Tony has been an amazing guest so far. Uh, she brought something very different to the episode, and probably very different to the podcast, bar none, because she's spoken about parts of society which are not the, the most, not, not the most heavily publicised for the right reasons. They're publicised for the wrong reasons. But you've seen the good in those areas, and you've also spoke about when something really bad happens, that something positive you know, can come out of it. That's what I want to talk about now in the second half of the show. I want to talk about businesses and, and you're going to talk about this, but it's really openly because you're not going to be intimately aware of my client base. You're not going to be intimate, intimately aware of my connections, my network, but you'll see the conversations and the, the people we, we, we surround ourselves by on LinkedIn. But if we talk about businesses in the construction supplies industry, businesses in the home design and the design industry, Businesses that are supplying building materials or, or, or putting, putting design and specification into some of the most beautiful projects across the world. Those businesses are based in the UK, so many of them, and they've got teams of all different shapes, sizes, colours and creeds. I have a, and, and this has come through in a couple of episodes, uh, episode three, Nick Boyle was very passionate about this and he's a great, great guy. He was saying that we have to be, as an industry, more aware more inclusive, more diverse. My question, and there's no right or wrong answer to this, Tony, so so just give us your, your honest thoughts. What can we be doing to encourage this better? Give me the diversity, equality, inclusion and belonging piece. Okay. What, what should businesses be doing? Where do they start? What should they do? How can we start making some real change? First of all, Peter, the businesses have to be committed to it. They have to be committed. It's not a tick box exercise. It's not performative. And it's okay not to know. I've been in my industry for 30 odd years and I'm still learning. You've been in yours for 30 odd years or whatever it is, Peter, and you're still learning. But it, what it means is that we might be 30 years ahead of others that haven't even started their learning journey. So I think you've really got to approach it that, that well, actually, it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay to ask for help, you know. But really recognize that you need to be committed to it. So that's the mm. first thing. I think that there's so many, so many businesses out there, and I see lots of them afraid or fearful of, you know, getting it wrong, doing the wrong thing, speaking out. It's, it's a little bit sensitive at the moment. But really, we need to be more courageous in the way that we approach things, be committed to it, accept the fact that we haven't got everything right. And I say, well, the people that, that know everything are the ones that have got the most learning to do. So let's approach it from an open, an open perspective, a learning perspective. I will give you an example around DEIB. I was very recently, well, about a year ago, asked to be on this diversity board. And I thought it was a great opportunity. It's a global organization. And uh, I went and checked out the diversity boards and everything. And everybody looked like me. And just for your, your listeners, you know, I'm a person of color, I'm a black woman, you know, everybody looked like me. And I thought, it's not me that you need. <laughs> no, but do you understand what I mean, Peter? Because yeah. ultimately, you know, if I go and join that, that group and I'm with other people that look like me, then really I'm going to be amongst everybody else that realize that, that, that thinks that they need to be there. And so that's already an obstacle before we've even started. You know, where we're moving away from, 
maybe this this perception or this stereotype of white males. If everybody looks like me, what's that going to look like in five years' time? It's going to be the same problem, just with a different mm. group. So that's that's a fantastic, but that's that's such a powerful example, though. It's a, and it's also an example. What no one's going to expect you to say that. You know, because it's but but that's that's so real, isn't it? That, that's it is. so so real. But that's the piece about it, and that's how you work and I work. If I can't add value, you have to be. If you're working independently, whether in your sector or whatever sector it is, you've got to mm. be able to have the courage to say, "It's not for me. I can't add value here." And I mm. say, don't always chase the money; chase the result. If you chase the result, then the money will chase you. Yeah, and mm. that's the way that I kind of go about it. Can I make a difference here? Can I add value? You know, is this right for me? Forget about the money aspects for just for a moment. We're all in business. We need to keep our eye on that. Yes, but first and foremost, can I add value? And if I can't, then or if I think you're going about it the wrong way, then take a step back. And I think that the more people need to be able to do that in all industries be able to say that's not for me thank you we don't work like that this is how we work and like how you work yourself so that's really about so and i think that really we have to start there at the board or the leadership or wherever that is because that's what because if you don't and have that diverse view or that inclusive view at that level then all you're going to do is attract the people that look like the board yeah and so Get you it. start working with the people that, you know, well, you have people that you are serving rather than the people that you should be serving. And then you wonder why they're not recruiting because actually you haven't really, you haven't really opened yourself up. You haven't really shown anybody from the outside that this is the kind of organization that you are. You know, we're representative and we've got diversity and we've got diverse voices coming through, etc. So, just something to think about it starts at the top really and um yeah that's that's where we've got to really start peter i've, I've got so many examples but that i think that's the one i'm going to share at the moment but i think that's a great one though and 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 the, and the two words you said at the very start was be committed you know mean it um and i and i honestly believe as a and i own a, a recruitment business so so i work in the headhunt arena i work in the talent attraction arena i work in different environments and i'm and i'm not going to go all the way down the diversity route i'm just going to give a very example on skill bases more often than not tony and and this is me talking completely from the heart and i'd say it to any business owner's face and i've said it in the meeting rooms as well more often than not we we one of the things i pride us pride ourselves on with recruitment is the attention to detail at the very start of a project mm. a project normally succeeds or fail from in the attention to detail if the hiring manager the key stakeholders involve you give you time want you to be part of everything they do you succeed if they push you away when they don't let you in it very rarely gets better further down the process yeah. but if at that beginning someone is saying and they're agreeing and we're agreeing we've got it written up on a wall we've got it agreed that you know we will consider someone from a different sector we will consider someone who has zero experience in, in so far but they've got potential we'll take someone from a different background with a different skill set they have to commit to that because what often happens and this happens to us we present through our video platform for our cv we pre-qualify we present four candidates for example out of four you've got one that works for a competitor you've got another that works for a very close allied sector so almost a competitor selling to the same customer base you may have one who is from a very different industry but is vibrant passionate desperate to get into into that company and would, would call over broken glass to work for them and you've got someone who's got no real work experience yet but need to start need someone that someone gave me give give them a chance right so you've got four four individuals this business tony they've already said to me they will include people as long as they have this they'll be included guess what two out of those four get in interview mm. 
It's the one that works for the competitor around the corner. It's the one that works for a closely allied industry and understands the customers because the perception is less training. They can hit the ground running. They, they, you know, it's a quicker way for us to, earn, to turn a profit, which may be a short-term fix, but they could be an average person that works for a competitor. They could be an average person that works for an allied sector. These individuals here that, even though you said you include them, you now change your mind, you're not going to meet them. These two people, and I promise you this, in the medium to long term, will be head and shoulders above these other two, but I can't get them in an interview. And then I'm in this really delicate situation because if I fight so much and push so much, no one gets an interview and another recruiter gets the gig and I don't have any income. So, so this is something that I am so passionate about. And I, and, and I, and I, and I'm genuinely, I, I sit there in meetings at the brief. I say, right, you've told me all that. Don't believe you. And they say, what do you mean? Like, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a CEO. Which we don't believe. So, but I hear this year after year, month after month, week after week. Is this, if I was in your sector, I would just be leaving you to it because it's going to be based on trust as well. Isn't it? You know, yeah. we need to trust you to do your job, you know, ultimately. But, but it's, it's, the, it's the changing. For me, it's changing the mindset from we will consider everyone, but actually we won't, to we will consider everyone and we will meet everyone. Right. And, and I, I've got a, there's a new test. There's a new testimonial on my on my LinkedIn. And this is a very senior role. It's a very senior role. I'm going to. I'm going to read it. This is an example. Can I just can I just say while you're looking for that? That's the difference between I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily focus in that space uh, and getting them to change their mindset. I would more approach it from the perspective of you know you being the inclusive recruiter. You are doing a specialist service that is going to really get the best candidate for them, and they need to put their wholehearted trust in you to do that job. So. So, you know, um, if I was in your sector, I would just leave you to it because I know that you would deliver. Uh, and, most, and most of our partners do. And this, this yeah. is an example of one. And this is where actually having a recruitment partner that is going to be inclusive and is going to, you know, look at things outside the box or from a left field can make a difference. This is on my LinkedIn, boys and girls. So so you can see this. This is, this is unadulterated. This is from Gareth Tui. He's a managing director of, of ACS. Of ACS. Um, we've recently placed a business development director with him. So ACS Stainless Steel Fixings, they're a Yorkshire-based business, award-winning business. Gareth's a really passionate, up-and-coming managing director, going great places. Uh, he said, I've been aware of Peter and Foyne Jones for many years. It was always clear to me that he understood the industry incredibly well. Before utilising his services, I thought the videos were a bit of a gimmick. Um, I fundamentally changed my position. The video introductions helped me get a real insight into candidates and help you pick people you want to formally interview and are actually in danger of giving a job to. Um, I actually had, he says, here, I had set experience and career background that I wanted to see in the candidates Foyne Jones put forward. They actually ignored me. And let me tell you, I'm glad they did. They focused on the skills and attributes of the person rather than the companies and products they've sold in the past. They put forward a high number of candidates. And despite them not meeting my perceived specification for the role, they actually exceeded it. I ended up with two candidates at final interview stage. I'd love to have had enough space to employ both in the business because they were quality. Wow. To sum up, I was impressed with every stage of the process. I'm going on. But despite my hesitation and reservations to the candidate experience, <coughs> excuse me, they asked me to trust them. And I'm glad I did as the quality of candidates they put forward was of the highest caliber. So that's a real example of where a traditional recruitment process would perhaps not have included the two individuals that got to final stage. Out of those two individuals, one of them is already started doing a fantastic job. If I could replicate that, that MD with other MDs, we would have the future of our industry secure. It'll be secure, Tony. Because the, because the brief is, well, at the end of it, this is what I want. Now, how you get there, Peter, it doesn't really matter. And I was fortunate that in my earlier career, I had, I can remember a couple of really great managers that managed me in this way, directors of, um, of their departments that managed me in this way that led me to my own devices to get what was needed. 
They didn't question me. We just needed to run through to make sure that I was working within within any kind of constraints. But ultimately, and that was great because I felt empowered. And I think that sometimes what happens is we engage people and we are very, you know, dictating. It must be done this way. It must be done this way. And actually, we don't really allow those other people to say, well, actually, I've got a better way. Can you leave it to me? And we need to do more of that. So I just commend you. I think I think that's really great, and it's it fits my. I, I want I want you to throw it in, Tony, because I I cannot overemphasize how much I believe in what you do. Right. Uh, it it genuinely inspires me, and I think that your voice could add because you keep it real right because because like we could hang out around the flats together we could hang out around the football ground together we can hang out in the pub together we could go in restaurants together but because you've got that ability to talk to people that's from so many different diverse backgrounds and so many different levels my industry would listen to you as well and that's that's something which i think could be so amazing if we can find a way of bringing someone like you as an advisor into these industries and i think that that's really useful because when i go to the, my organizations i always encourage them to bring somebody external with an external eye because that's diversity in itself isn't it peter because you get so many organizations that are so if you excuse the word incestuous you know, because they're only relying on their internal mechanisms. They don't bring anybody else in as part of their external quality assurance or their auditing, you know. And actually, it, yeah, it's, it's not healthy. It's not great. So for me, that's really, really important um, to bring those other people in. But just taking the diversity piece on another level and thinking about individuals, because I'm really passionate about people with neurodiversity that can be overlooked, you know, people with autism. I'm going to tell you a very brief story because I used to um, do lots of coaching. I'm a netball queen. Yeah, and I've had... Tony, just to let you know, I'm a pretty decent wing attack, all right? Really? Just, just to throw that out there, I'm a pretty pretty decent wing attack. But when, when, when you see Mrs. Jones next, don't mention the Lady Margaret's, which she went to the nice school in Fulham, you know, Lady Margaret's. Don't mention the Lady Margaret's recent Mark's netball match because she ended up breaking her wrist. It got a bit fiery. Oh, I'm great to hear that, but I know of those two schools that you mentioned, and actually, I used to coach at uh, Lady Margaret. So, did you? There you go. Maybe you could, yeah. Well, I, I, I think Jane would have been too. too I, mean, I think you would have missed Jane, but but um, you know what? You know my school, so Mark said. So you know, you, you know what? You know my education was challenging at times, but I had fun. I enjoyed. That's it. the thing about it is, and um, yeah, Parsons Green. So I I know it. But what it is is that this netball. I had this netballer, and what happened is is that. She was a centre, a centre player. And, you know, every so often when she does a a centre pass, she would run behind the wing attack and always repeat that move. And the team would move around her and try and get her to move somewhere else because obviously the opponents are going to know where she's going to go and it's going to be game over. So anyway, I took her off and we had this conversation, but because of my background in special educational needs and things like that, I was able to recognise something and she said to me, I've got autism. Once I knew that, I was able to work yeah. with her. And because people with autism can sometimes, they, they like that routine, they like the same thing over and over. So I just needed to teach her how to win, Peter. There you go. Yes. And, 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 this... and winning and winning. <laughs> But, but but my wife for years for for years she worked with children on the autistic spectrum she 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 had class she ran classrooms you know and and, and she's been she you know dealing with that as an in as an ina as a teaching assistant and and I, and I've seen the amazing work her and her colleagues did and um, I'm very aware of what being neurodivergent means and there's lots of reasons for that I'm very aware of what being dyslexic means I'm very aware through my own family and through through people that I'm I'm around close to I see different challenges I see I see racial issues I see inclusion issues I see I see real real world stuff you know you know I grew up in a multicultural society so I I grew up, that's where I'm from I'm, but but I see the, the other sides of it and I just want my industries and the businesses that I'm close to I want them Tony to to just 
open their eyes and see that someone who's coming out of a prison sentence who doesn't want to offend again could be a very special member of your team. Someone who is perhaps disabled or has some form of disability, disability, not perhaps a physical one, but maybe a mental one in some way, they can be a valuable member of your team as well. There is a, and I could go for hours on this one, but our, 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 our ex-military, wow, you know, there, there are, that is a talent pool beyond anyone's wildest dreams if businesses open their eyes to it more. So, and you go on and on. And, and if you have someone in each business that can just recognize that perhaps working in the same industry for a few years before makes them better, no, it doesn't always. We've got to get people in to give them a chance. And I think your voice, Tony, is something that carries a lot of weight, it carries a lot of power. And that's why I'm so glad you've been on the show today. But I have a favor. I have a favor to ask. It's not a netball match. I'm not calling that on yet, but, you know, you never know. But what, what I want to do is I want to um, just just wrap the episode up by giving you a chance, Tony, to, to give some words of inspiration for the next generation or what we call our stars of the future. Because giving inspiration, giving advice, it could be look at my career, look at what I achieved. It could be actually, look where I went wrong. Don't follow my path. I ended up in Wormwood Scrubs. It could be, you know, people are giving different different advice, different words of wisdom. But from a Tony McClellan perspective, what what advice would you give to the stars of the future if they're chasing their dreams, they're, they're, they're beginning their journey? What, what advice would you give to people? Okay, there's a few bits of advice. And um, I'm just going to say, you know, I'm going to start off by saying, think about the people that are around you. You know, network is so important. Your inner circles. My husband has a saying, um, and he's ex-forces as well. So uh, I only you said about that. I understood that. His saying is, uh, if you hang around the barbers long enough, you will end up getting your hair cut. All right. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I will, Tony. But you know, you never know. You haven't got much hair. But if you hung around the barbers long enough, you'd probably want to get a clean shave or something. Yeah, I'd, I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have a little beard trim. I'd have, I'd have some towels. Yeah, we played a game. So, so basically, the, the element of that is really think about the people that are around you. Are they lifting you up? Are they showing you the right ways? Because sometimes before we even know it, we've adopted a learned behavior and we don't even realize it. So look in the mirror. Um, you know, the other piece is really, I'm going to kind of come at it from an empowerment perspective. Because quite often, people look for external validation. And when I say that, they're, they're looking at others to endorse, saying, well done, you've done really well, you know, I'm really proud of you. But you need to be proud of yourself, yeah? When was the last time you said, I'm really proud of me for doing that? Not my husband, my mum, my brother, my sister. I'm proud of me. So my quote is, why look for external validation when it's internal validation that's required? Because it starts with you, all right? That's where it starts. We always look at others, do well for others. We want a pat on the back from others. That's great. But actually, we want the pat on the back for ourselves first. I put a post out on LinkedIn today, and that was really about, uh, you know, there's one thing that we can all qualify to be. We don't have to fight about it. We don't even need to do extra training. And that is to be our own authentic self. Yeah? We don't need to do anything more. And there's a story <coughs> about some gods that had some power. And what they decided to do was they were going to hide this power. And they said, where should we hide it? Should we hide it under the bed, on top of the wardrobe? All these places, no people will find it. And then... One person, one God said, well, actually, I've got the ideal place. And the other said, where is that? And they said, inside you. Because that's the one place that you're not going to look, inside mm -hmm. yourself. So really, we are quite powerful if we look, because we overlook our own selves and look at others and try to be like others, but actually try to be the best version of you. And let that first impression be a really, really positive impression and a lasting one. Yeah. So so there's little wow. things there that it's, it's really about empowering yourself and not saying, you know, rely on that person to do that. Or it's about you. This is where it starts. If you need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. And uh, yeah, be around the right people that can support you. And um, one other thing I'm going to just say really quickly, and that is about being courageous, because 
I think we were cor- more courageous when we were younger, when my son was going to his secondary school. Yeah, it was a school that we all wanted him to get into, and we would have done anything to get him in there. And he got this uh, invite for interview from the head teacher, and uh, we were there. And the head teacher said, right, okay, um, I've finished my questions. Have you got any questions? And he said, yes, I've got two. He said, uh, your school motto means seek the truth. So can you tell me what measures you go through to get to the truth? The head teacher was flabbergasted. He was like, how how can this 10-year-old be asking me such a question? But actually, if it's your school motto, you've got to live by it. And he's got every right. The other question was, I want to be an engineer when I'm older. How can your school help me? Now, when I think back on that, I think how courageous was he then? Because he was more courageous then when he was 10 years old than some of us are in interview now. Big time, big, uh, big, 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 big time. And and the thing is, it, it's it's you know, it, it's it's. I should have said this. I should have said that. I didn't prepare. You know, the the world is full of, and I say this a lot. The world is full of job seekers and individuals that do just enough, right? So so if ninety five percent of people are going to do just enough, put yourself in the five percent that makes the magic happen. And tell you what, your ten year old boy. Pick that up and use that as inspiration. I remember one, I can't remember what it was. It was one one thing my, my eldest was at once. And um, I remember the, the, the teacher, he's a funny, funny guy. But he said, oh, so Harry, he said, uh, you know, just he, he went, tell me, how many animals did Moses take on the ark, right? And I'm um, there going, two of these, two And he's gone, oh, excuse me, sir, um, it was Noah. And I'm like, Wow, go on, son. Like, I'd still be there counting. I'd be writing them up. I'd be writing them up me up me arm. Going, uh, and and I think you you get. I get inspired by my children all the time. You know, Harry's Harry's twenty four. You know, Harry. He, he's he's running his own business now. He's he's advising startups. He's doing business development. He's lived the dream in Barcelona. He's come home. He's he's, he's amazing. He loves Fulham as well. Of course, he does. My youngest. He's at the he's at the beginning of his military journey. He passed P Company last year. He's with the Second Battalion Parachute oh, Regiment. So he's. Um, I saw something about yeah. this as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're we're, we're more than proud, and uh, he's just come back from uh, exercise in Norway. He's going to be spending the summer months, uh, I think, three and a half or four months of them in the Falkland Islands, and you know, they're they're doing their own thing, and and we're we're proud of them both in in such such amazing ways. And what what I say to everyone is that you know, follow your dreams, and and you've you've said that. Um, you know, believe in yourself and, and just, just be the best you can be. And and if I summarise, Tony, what, what you said there, and this is the this is the, the end of the show in terms of the next generation, you've said, you know, think about who you surround yourself with, i.e. your network. If you're surrounding yourself with 10 wrongans, unfortunately, you're probably going to become the 11th wrongan. It's, it's quite hard. You know, if you've got a drink problem and you surround yourself with people that are in the pub all the time, good luck. Same as if you've got a betting problem, and it gets worse and worse depending on, on what, what example you give. But being, being surrounding yourself, having a network which you're proud of and which, which is going to inspire you, tick. Then being proud of yourself, you know, looking inside yourself. That's, that, that's, that's, that's where dreams are made. And, and actually, none of us do that enough. You, you hear about imposter syndrome. That's a trendy word now. You know, everyone gets nervous. Everyone gets scared. Everyone gets happy. Everyone, everyone gets highs. Everyone gets lows. But being proud of who you are and, and, and what you are inside, that's an amazing quality. And you wrap that up right at the end, giving your son's secondary school interview as an example. Be courageous. How many people don't shoot that hoop or take that penalty or, or do something completely outside their comfort zone. We're, we're not as a race, as a human, we're not comfortable being uncomfortable, but if we got a bit, bit more like that, we could achieve great things. So Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Have you enjoyed yourself? We normally get on all right. Yeah, I have. And the time has gone really, really quickly. It, it just felt like having a drink with a friend. It really did. Well, well, funny you mentioned that, Tony, because Mrs. Jones sent Jane. She sends her love because she's a big fan of you. All right. Yeah. And when I tell her that, when I tell her you coach netball at her old school, she's going to like go no way, right? So, so, so we're uh, so so we're so I'll tell her that. I've got a I've got an, I've got something to say to you. Um, when we do our next series, I would love to get you back on the show. 
but I want you to come to Brighton. Yeah. I want you to join us in the studio. I want you and your husband or whoever you bring with you to come out for a meal with me and my family. And let's, let's do something really special because I, I, I'd love to do something like that with you because you've been such a brilliant guest. Thank you so much. I would absolutely love to do that. And, um, yeah, just I, I think that the timing wasn't great, but you are one of these people that I'd love to actually connect with in real life, yeah. you know. I felt I felt guilty, you know. You know when I was messaging because we, we should start a little bit before we start. And I'm going, oh no, I've let it down. Oh no, it'll be okay. Oh, I'm going to make it. Oh, I'm not going to make it. Then, so so I messaged Holly. I said, Holly, I'm going to be really late. And she said, I'll let Tony know. And then I'm like, I'm not going to be that late. It's all right. I'm going to be okay. So it was, uh, but but I wasn't going to let you down. I've been desperate to get you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, from a, from a Fort Jones perspective, I've got to say some thank yous. I have to say thank you to our sponsor, Marcel from MHK Holding UK. Without Marcel, we don't have a podcast. Without Marcel, we don't have a show. So thank you to MHK, Hold, MHK Holding UK. And also, thank you to every single listener. Um, we've been getting some great feedback on our guests, whether it's our, our little video clips, whether it's the, the newer viewers on YouTube, or whether it's our more hardcore audience on iTunes and Spotify. We are going as good as we can with a guest and I think what you've brought today Tony is is you've given us four P's you've given us purpose you spoke about people you spoke about the planet and obviously we're a business we're, we've got to make a profit we've, we've all got to do well but you know a journey that took us from guns riots and the horrors of Grenfell has took us to a world where compassion can make a difference Tony you've been a brilliant guest that's the end of today's episode. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you so much. Sending some fairy dust your way to you and your listeners. Thank you so much, Peter. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as I said, that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out next week's episode as we will keep inspiring our stars of the future.